Welcome to the Gamers Inn. Come on in, pull up a chair next to the fire. It looks like you've had a long journey. I'm your host, Jocelyn, and joining me as always is my co-host, Ryan. Hello, Ryan. Hello. Uh, oh, shoot. Uh, I'm being asked to wrap it up. Uh, being played off right now, if you can hear the music in the background. I'd just like to thank everybody for um, uh, tuning in, downloading, supporting us on Patreon. Check us out on Discord. Follow me on Twitter. And uh, thanks, Mom. Thanks, Dad. And, and that's your uh, time. I, f- I likely forgot many people. But, um, oh, well, maybe next year. Maybe next year. <laughs> All you have to do is make the best game in your category again (laughs) again yeah two years in a row just make another baldur's gate 3 hey you know what baldur's gate 4 just get right to it (laughs) coming next year just so they can finish (laughs) the end of their speech ah that one there was a there was um a lot of those we'll talk about it in the topic but a lot of those speeches that were cut off it was almost like uh you know tone deaf of the awards ceremony like they were talking about you know literal colleagues passing away during development Mm -hmm. and just the struggles in general of development and they're just like play them off get the music going and yeah it was gross there was like uh something i think it was the games for impact award which is always supposed to be like their socially conscious super important award thing that they do and like they were talking about, I can't even remember what it was, but it was like, it was some serious topic, right? Like, cause they're usually have to do with it. Like, I think there was a game about cancer that won one year. There's a games about like dealing with depression and grief. And like, they're all very like hard hitting, serious topics and, you know, trying to deal with these things through gaming and like to cut those topics off. You're just like, dude, <laughs> come on now. Oh, anyways, yeah, we'll we'll get into the a deeper rant when we talk about the news later on in the show. But uh, yeah, that is my by far biggest gripe with these game awards now is the 30 seconds is not long enough to do a proper speech and to, you know, like properly honor developers. Um, yeah, it was ridiculous, but... <laughs> All right. Well, uh, speaking of developers and awesome games that they make, uh, what have you been up to, Ryan? What have you played this week? Yeah, you know, I did a thing I don't normally do. I uh, I, t- I dusted off uh, my my MetaQuest Two. I plugged it what? in. Yeah, <laughs> man. You know, like one thing about the Game Awards is full of ads, and there were a couple of VR things that they showed, and I was just like, man. I don't I don't understand like I know obviously VR makes me sick we've talked about it a hundred times on the show but like the hands look so weird <laughs> you know the floating hands, hands floating in nothing yeah. yeah the hands floating in nothing looks so weird to me and uh yeah like I, I I'm glad that you're that you're going into and getting some some sort of use out of your meta quest and doing some of these VR experiences but it is just such a section of gaming that I'm like I don't understand it I don't see the attraction so try to sell me on Arizona sunshine too please <laughs> uh I I will. Here's here's the thing about any VR game uh still currently. It, it I don't think any experience is going to um address sort of the the VR sickness that a lot of folks experience when they play these games. I know you've talked about it. Uh my co-host on Zombies Ate My Podcast, which uh Lou, who I'll be talking about uh, Arizona Sunshine 2 again uh next week. He also like VR doesn't make him sick. It just doesn't work. 
there's something that just doesn't connect. It's either, you know, with his vision or. Okay. So just like something in his head that it yeah. just. Okay. And it's, it's an odd thing where, you know, he, he just, he, he can't process it. He can't experience VR, at least how it's done. And, and I get that because like the way, the way it sort of works, like there are cases where some folks can't perceive it and, and some folks just can't stand it. Um, and I, I think for me, like I, I can enjoy VR. Uh, I'm not as like, you know, diehard as, as some folks when it comes to VR. Like, I don't think it's necessarily like the future of gaming. I feel like it is a, it is certainly an additional platform, uh, to, to gaming. Like you have your handheld gaming, you have your console gaming, your PC gaming, and then you have VR, uh, uh, and, you know, I I had the chance to get press access to Arizona Sunshine 2. So I kind of jumped at that to check out this. Uh, it's a zombie uh, a virtual reality sort of adventure game. Um, it's 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 a first person shooter really uh, within VR, but it's uh, it's available on MetaQuest, uh, Steam VR, as well as PlayStation VR 2. Um and as I said, I have a MetaQuest 2 device, which is not the most uh, recent Quest device. There is the Pro and 3, but it is compatible with the Quest 2. But it's by no means are you seeing in the advertising how this looks on the Quest 2. Um, it, it runs natively on the Quest 2, but it is, it is downscaled quite a bit. Um, you are not experiencing the fidelity that you see in the trailers. Uh, so I, I noticed it was kind of a cross buy so like because i had access on the on the the quest store i had access on the oculus store as well so i downloaded on the pc and i know we've talked about this before on the show but like they have kind of perfected this ability to have your headset talk to your pc uh wirelessly so i was able to um sit in a comfy chair uh in the living room with my pc <laughs> turn the pc on and and just wirelessly play uh over the network and it worked really well like honestly it was I'm, I'm still blown away that it works so well that because usually anything i'm so used to things even over wi-fi network to be a bit laggy and chunky and uh and i know it was it was perfect and um uh it's so like the experience like the game itself like is a it's a zombie adventure it's a it's a first person shooter you are interacting with the environment, like picking up weapons. You're pulling them from your holster to to use the weapons. Like when you're walking around, you don't have to like hold the weapons out. You can you can pick them out of your holster uh, on demand. That is one thing about VR that I think is kind of cool is the idea that like you're actually doing motions. Yeah. Like not not I was gonna say it's like stopping short of motion control, right? But like like you say, like you have to actually like reach down and pull something out instead of just like hitting X. Yeah, <laughs> that's kind of cool. It it is very cool. Like I mean, the reason I hesitate is like you are so if you experience yourself in like um any third person or first person shooter, like sometimes hitting a button to reload is uh more convenient than having to yes. manually reload especially when you're being swarmed by zombies um <laughs> it, it is about the immersion right so when you think about vr like they kind of try to apply as much as they can to the touch controllers um and that includes you know reloading your weapons uh with your hands so for example if you have a uh like a 
smaller shotgun. Uh, I don't I don't know I don't know any of the gun names, so I'm gonna butcher this. But like a smaller <laughs> shotgun that's like a two shot, you have to like when you when you shoot your two shots, you have to grab the gun. You're holding the gun in one hand. You have to grab the front of the gun with your other hand, pull down to like open up the bullet compartment, and then it'll be empty. It'll or the bullet shells will pop out, and then you have to manually pop two shotgun shells off your chest into the into the shotgun and then like you can then use the force of your hand to kind of like either snap the gun up to make it you know loaded i guess i don't know (laughs) or you can like use your hand to to then straighten it out and it's loaded again i don't know much about guns what i do know is probably from playing video games uh so that whole motion takes about maybe you know depending how bad you are at VR, like me, it may take you five to 15 seconds. So if you are surrounded by zombies and you are reloading a two-shot shotgun and it takes you that long, uh, you, you're swarmed, which, you know, is, if you've watched a zombie film, is pretty realistic. Like, if you don't reload your gun fast enough, well, you're shit of luck. <laughs> uh, and that happened a lot to me. I died a lot doing that, trying to reload and fumbling <laughs> bullets and such. Uh, and all the guns have like their own individual sort of reload cycle, like uh, process. And like I said, it is a very, uh, it's a neat thing as you're doing it. And it's part of, again, the platform. So you you kind of get used to it. Like you're when you're playing a normal video game, you're so used to just hitting a button to reload. And in this, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, no, I have to be prepared to disengage. Now I'm doing the shotgun. I got to do the chest bump thing. Now I'm doing the revolver. I got to flick it off my leg. I don't know. <laughs> no, man, the revolver is really cool. It makes you feel like a cowboy because you're like, uh, you you have the bullets. And what you do is you, you do have a, you do push a button to um, discharge the empty magazine or whatever. And what that does is like with the revolver, you push the button and then the little you know, six shooter thing pops out. You move your hand up so that the bullets, the empty bullets fall out. Fall out, and yeah. <laughs> then, and then you have to like grab the shell off your chest, put it into the gun, and then you can kind of like flick your wrist to move the revolver piece back in. Oh, and yeah, that yeah. Feels so cool. Like, <laughs> you know, and then you're, you have six shots and you miss three of them because again, your aim is, it's one to one. Like, you aim your gun. And if you have terrible aim, <laughs> like me, uh, you're going to miss a lot of your shots. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, again, it's it's part of the experience. But um, it is a game that's narratively driven. Like, you are a survivor, a lone survivor that sees a, a, an airplane crash. And you're like, oh, my God, people. I can't wait to talk to people. And he calls all the zombies Fred or Freddy's, I guess he calls them. So he's 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 on the... He hasn't talked to real people in a long time, so he calls all the zombie Freds, and uh, he's chasing after this helicopter. And you're uh, you discover that the the army is looking for patient zero to create a vaccine, and then you discover there's a dog in the helicopter, and uh, he becomes your buddy. You, you literally call him buddy. And again, <laughs> it's it's where this VR thing kicks in. It's like okay, like how do you get the dog to trust you? And there's a tennis ball and you pick it up and you throw it and you play catch with the dog. And again, like in a button based game, that would be like do it once or twice. Okay, we, we've done it. Yeah, I get, I get the gist. <laughs> yeah, you want to have fun, right? Uh, and you can play catch with this dog as long as you want. But he becomes part of the game, too, where you are then using him as, you know, not only in puzzles to to fetch things, 
from areas that you can't get to, but also as crowd control, he can take out, you know, zombies one at a time. And that sort of plays into the story a little bit as you go. And I, I think I'm about halfway through the campaign now. And mostly because I can only play for like an hour or so until like I get this like feeling in the pit of my stomach. Like I, I still get a little bit of VR sickness. Um, it's why I've kind of, you know, moved towards like a sit down experience because I find if I stand, I can only play for about half the time. And like, I don't know, I don't really like playing games that make me sick. <laughs> so <laughs> can't imagine why. <laughs> yeah, well, as much as I'm having fun, you know, it's still that platform. It still makes me a little queasy sometimes. So I I have preferred to sit down more and I and I get like that doesn't give you that like true 360 experience but I'd rather not feel sick, I guess, is where I'm coming from. I'm working my way up to it. I've certainly come a long way since I started playing uh, VR experiences, but but I still I still feel like the best for me is to sort of sit and experience it. It's nice that you have that option, right? That you don't have to be like standing and moving around, that you can just sit and chill while also still getting a VR experience. Yes, yeah, I really enjoy sort of the accessibility options and approachability options that have come with VR lately where you can choose to sit, you can re sort of set where the, the belt is. So for example, the chair I'm playing in is like a, it's like a sofa chair. So it's got higher sort of armrests. So like, I want to tell the game like, well, you know, move the ammo belt up on my chest so that I'm not reaching into the couch to try to pick out my guns. Right. Um, and that's an option that either can be presented to you right at the beginning. Every time you load the game up, depending on how you want to play, you might want that calibration to pop up every time, but you can set it to skip as well. Like there's a lot of options, both from, uh, like, for example, like the stuff that really makes me queasy is like the climbing. Um, because, it is you literally climbing over chasms and, you know, the the camera's based on your arms and sometimes like the camera like goes into the ladder and you're like kind of moving around a lot and it's a little mm. it's a little much. <laughs> you can uh <laughs> you can actually set it so that you can skip the climbing sections in the settings, which Oh really? Yeah, like I thought it was a really nice touch. It's wild that there's like that they are able to recognize those pain points so well, you know, yeah. to say like, oh, okay, this is going to make some of our, like, it's, it's, it's weird because it's like, instead of fixing it, they're like, well, this is going to make some people throw up. Let's make <laughs> this a button press and just skip the animation completely. <laughs> yeah. And it's, I think it, it, it comes down to like, there's a lot of, you know, there's, there's the first person gunplay and the super satisfying part is like, you can craft explosives and stuff and all the explosives have some sort of like two button or two action prompt to use them. So, you know, classic example is like a grenade. You have to pull the pin and then you can throw it whenever you want once the pin is pulled and then obviously explodes on a bit of a timer. And that is super satisfying. And again, like is an experience you can probably only get in VR. Like we've all thrown grenades in video games for, you know, since Call of Duty 1. And it's kind of been the same but i think in vr it's changed up a little bit like there's more action to it and more you know consequence as well you know see being surrounded by zombies and trying to drop a grenade <laughs> <laughs> or throw one i should say but uh yeah it's uh, the 
the game's ability to sort of recognize like, okay, you know, what we do really well is, you know, the zombie action, the first person shooting, you know, there's melee uh, as well, um, where you can kind of like get up close and personal with the zombies and use like crowbars and machetes and stuff. Uh, but the fact that they look at the climbing is like, okay, this is another staple of VR gameplay. We're going to have you climb across this chasm by sort of hand over hand uh, across a, a pole. And like the, the tech is still like, it's still not like perfected in terms of like climbing and stuff. Like there's some, some weirdness to it. And I think allowing folks to skip where that might, you know, trigger their VR sickness a little bit, like it does for me. I did appreciate that. And I would turn it on and off sort of based on how I was feeling or, or what the action called for. Uh, so I really appreciated that, but like, it's, it's a lot of fun. Like it's, uh, Arizona sunshine. I never played the first one, but it's a, it's a beloved game when it comes to VR. It was one of the first sort of zombie experiences. And when they announced Arizona sunshine two, it felt like more of like this narrative experience. Like let's focus on the story and dialogue and, and humor. The game has a lot of, uh, it, it, you know, it, it's, it's funny it's got some real good lines. Uh, there's one in the one in the trailer where he's he's talking to the do- he's always talking to the dog, and he's talking to the dog. It's like you know it's so funny. Like every day there's hundreds of people that just want to bite my head off, and I don't get it. And it's like well, it's because you know you're only around zombies. So uh, there's just little little quirks like that. Like not not all of it lands, of course. Like it is it is silly. It does not take itself seriously at all. But it's it's well written enough that like the jokes land uh, most of the time and, and it makes the adventure more fun. Cause again, you are just like kind of moving through environments, killing zombies and playing fetch with your, uh, with your buddy. So yeah, <laughs> it's fun. And the VR headset's still plugged in. So I, I still have a, a ways to go with it, but um, I'm having a lot of fun with it. It's good to, good to get into VR again. Yeah, that's good. That sounds awesome. Uh, I mean, I'm obviously not going to try it, but I'm glad that you're having a lot of fun. (laughs) Um, I've been having a ton of fun over in Assassin's Creed Mirage. So I finally got around to playing this one. You guys are going to hear that a lot from me in the next few weeks as we talk about what we're playing. It's going to be like, I finally got to this. I finally got to that. Um, But yeah, I got to uh, Assassin's Creed Mirage this week. I've played quite a bit of it, actually, and I'm really, really enjoying it. It's... um, I guess it really lived up to the the promise of being like going back to its roots. Like it feels a whole lot more like oh OG Assassin's Creed. It's takes place other than this like kind of origin story tutorial type space. Um, it takes place in Baghdad. Like it's a city. The city is big. There's lots to you know discover. But at the same time, like it's kind of refreshing after all of the big open world stuff because like it's big enough that I feel like I'm not um, like running out of places to explore, I'll say. Um, But it's not so big that I don't recognize places. Like I feel like I'm like learning the streets and learning where stuff is and, you know, really like living in the city and the city feels lived in. Like I'm really, really enjoying it. It's like every time I come around a corner, there's something else that's like, either of interest to me or useful. I don't feel like I'm spending, you know, 80% of my time getting from point A to point B um, or like objective A to objective B. So I I feel like I'm 
using my time well in the game, I guess, which is something that is now of the utmost importance to me. As Ryan, I'm sure you can relate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, this is one. So Assassin's Creed is a franchise that um, it's kind of similar to WoW in the regard that like it, it was a franchise that came out around when I was in college, like early college. And it's a franchise I loved, played everyone that came out. And then all of a sudden it's like, wow, we're doing one of these every year. It got to be a bit much. Yeah, they're getting bigger. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, like, so I did play, I think you played the ancient Greece one. Yeah. Um, which I can't remember what it was actually called. And then um I think there was one more after that before Valhalla. Cause basically, like Valhalla is when I got back into it, but even then I never finished it because it's just so freaking big. Mm -hmm. But I feel like Mirage, so Mirage tells the story of a character you actually meet in Valhalla. And, uh, but it's its own like standalone game experience, obviously. And it tells basically like his origin story. And it's just, it's so well done. It feels like it's one I can actually finish. Like there's different districts in the city. They have different difficulty ratings. Like it's all very, like I said, it's all very condensed. And like the the story seems to be moving on, uh, moving along at a pretty quick pace. I think um, I've played like five hours or so, and I think I'm 40 percent of the way through the story. So like it, it's going at a clip and you have like side quests available to you. There's other stuff you can do, but they're um, they're placed in the game on this like contracts board. So they're they feel like opportunities to get more like rewards and currency and they're like crafting mats and and different um badges because there's different factions in the city so if you have their badges like you can get discounts at merchants you can open different chests and stuff that are normally unavailable to you unless you have you know x number of these badges so it kind of like helps you it does help your progression but it's not like directly tied to like your experience or your skills or anything um, so if you don't want to do them, you kind of it feels like you don't necessarily have to and you're not running around every corner and finding, you know, somebody with an exclamation mark over their head. You know, it is very like when I want to find something extra to do, I can go back to my base and check my board and grab something, but I don't have to do it like it doesn't feel necessary which i really love it's like if you just want to pay attention to the main story you absolutely can but if you want to branch out if you want to explore or if you want to go after a certain chest or if you want to go after a certain upgrade like you can go and do a contract that gives you the rewards that you need so like it's very um unobtrusive as far as like secondary questing goes so again it's another like streamlined thing that feels very original assassin's creed and doesn't necessarily pull your attention away from like finishing the game. <laughs> so yeah, I'm I'm really, really, really enjoying it. And obviously the game looks amazing. There it like it functions in the same way that you're used to. Like you basically like press the control stick and press X and then you do your free running parkour. Like it just it feels smooth. It feels fun. I'm really, really enjoying it. Like, I, I can't recommend it enough if you liked original Assassin's Creed. Like, Ryan, you really should give this one a try because it's much more digestible in terms of content than I would say the the more recent Assassin's Creeds have been. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, the original Assassin's Creed, I just remember 
let's go back in time. I remember uh, <laughs> your husband, Matt, bringing in his PlayStation 3 so we could play uh, Assassin's Creed on the projector in our classroom on lunch breaks and just seeing like a character run around uh, or, or ride around on a horse and, and enter combat on the fly. Like this, it was, it was a big deal. Like that first Assassin's mm-hmm. Creed game. And the fact that this was not only is being heralded as the return to, you know, sort of the, what made the original so compelling and, and, you know, grabbed you uh, with, with not only it's fun gameplay, but it's a, uh, uh, somewhat, you know, shorter <laughs> campaign. I know there was still a lot of like collection stuff in that first one, but. Oh yeah. There's tons of collection stuff. Like if yeah. you want to go and explore, there are tons of things you can find. Like as soon as you go up and, and synchronize with the viewpoint, which is something that we're all familiar with. If you've played oh, yeah. an Assassin's Creed before. Yeah. So if you go and synchronize, then it'll show you like in the area, all the stuff that you can find. And there's like, um, historical things about Baghdad you can find. There are uh, specific marks to pickpocket because you're trying to fund a rebellion. There are, uh, oh, what else? There's like obviously like treasure chests, like gear chests. Um, trying to, there's like seven or eight things anyways in each different district that as soon as you synchronize with the viewpoint, it'll show you you can go and get. So there's there's tons of exploration to be had again if you want to like the the historical sites and stuff just like when you go and find them then they add something to your codex that you can go and read and it's like info about like Baghdad or you know the culture and and all the and the history and all that kind of stuff like it's real world info which is very cool um, but again, like it's definitely not a have to have sort of thing. It's just, it's for those people who want to collect and explore in hundred percent. Right. Yeah. And I always appreciate like the more recent Assassin's Creed's where they literally have like a, an education tool of like, Hey, uh, this goes back to our conversation about dungeon murder. The last couple episodes It's like, you can take Assassin's Creed into the classroom with the Assassin's Creed education edition where you are, are not <laughs> killing people. Uh, assassin's still in the name of the mode, but like you can walk through the streets of Baghdad mm-hmm. that is, and it's as historically accurate as they can be. Like they strive to make it historically accurate, but also layering in some education elements uh, on top of, um, I remember the first one they did it with uh, Assassin's Creed origins, uh, the one set in Egypt. Mm. And it's, it's a really neat mode that sort of like layers on a lot of the hard work that's already been done to just make the base game, which is to create this, you know, recreate, I should say this, this world that, or the city that, you know, may or may not have looked like this, you know, back in, back in the day. So like, I think it's really cool that they've continued that attention to detail. And, uh, I, I liked Basim, you know, when he appeared in Valhalla, he's sort of the connection. He's part of the connection that brings sort of the assassins, creed to the vikings because before they were they were not assassins they were just they yeah were just uh doing the viking thing um and that's how they kind of brought the hidden blade back into it because the hidden blade was kind of like tucked away for a few games which i think was <laughs> a smart move <laughs> yeah i didn't even realize i did that um <laughs> so sneaky <laughs> i know so sneaky uh it's like, oh, there's some long grass. Now I can hide from everyone. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I'm really excited that they've brought that back. And I, I think there's a few games I've kind of like keeping my eyes on 
especially with uh, the Epic Games Store sale that's going on right now. And I, I know we were talking pre-show about Alan Wake 2 and, man, Assassin's Creed Mirage is even less expensive. And uh, I, I want to be careful not to load up on a bunch of, like, recent games at, like, a discounted price because at the end of the day, it's like, if you buy five games that are all on sale, you still only have time to play however many. And I've I've certainly fallen into that trap of, like, having too many great games to play at once uh but uh it's been so long since i feel like it's been a while since i played this i tried valhalla but i kind of got lost in this the vastness of it Mm -hmm. i mean i i really liked valhalla but i found it was again it was just it was too big it was one of those open world experiences where you were kind of spoiled for choice and though like the gameplay was was interesting and fun it was just it was just too much too big too long um, and, and I, and I fell off from it, which happens with the vast majority of open world games. Like, I mean, I still haven't finished Zelda and obviously I have, you know, personal reasons for that. It, you know, gave me that crazy migraine I thought was a stroke in June and I really haven't gone back to it since then, but I didn't game at all for like two months after that. Um, but yeah, like it is very much like, I think that, so Zelda, I almost, almost finished. I was on my the final boss when that happened and then um obviously the horizons just because i have so much love for that world and that series that i will like play that game to death to 100 percent to just you know get as much of an experience out of it as i possibly can but other than that like i can't even think of a another game that i've really like played and explored to the full extent in a long time because they're just getting so so big i guess i finished the god of war main story but left like so much unfinished in terms of like side quests and collectibles and stuff like you just it's so hard to focus in a lot of those games so i really appreciate the kind of pared down like i think probably if i stuck just to the main story didn't do any more contracts or side missions or anything else like i think i could probably wrap this up in 10 to 15 hours which sounds short but again that would be like only paying attention to the main storyline it sounds short, but I'm kind of like, I'm okay with something that even, you know, that I'm paying a AAA price for. I'm okay with it if I'm actually going to like feel like I can accomplish something, feel like I can finish it and get to the end, right? Like, I mean, I've paid AAA prices for so many things in the past that I just haven't even finished just because they're way, way, way too big. So I, I kind of appreciate Assassin's Creed's size, Mirage's size, and, and kind of, um, condensed nature it feels like they just cut out a lot of the fat right and and they're getting back to the lean mean fighting machine and well actually that's the other thing is they're they don't want you to fight like it very much like um leans into the stealth gameplay that i really really loved of like original assassin's creed like they they're even like of the tips after you die when your save is loading they're like be careful Basim is not meant to fight, you know, so if you pull more than three enemies, there's a very good chance you're going to die. So, you know, they they really do um, kind of focus you in on it's it's like a whole bunch of puzzles that you have to solve, you know, based on, you know, pathing of enemies and what your kit is and, you know, um, how how you want to approach the situation like they do really really lean in on the on the stealth and then like if you're found you know the escaping instead of you know standing your ground and fighting which i i really really enjoy so 
it very much is a back to Basin's Assassin's Creed. And even with the shorter campaign and the and the like full price, I think it's worth it. So if you can like pick it up on sale and you enjoyed original Assassin's Creed, but you've kind of fell off like this really is a return to form for them. Cool. Yeah. And I know it's uh, I think I've already seen it kind of like I've, I've definitely seen it on sale in the Epic Game Store. Uh, and I believe I've seen it. it's part of some sort of it was part of some Black Friday sales and should be part of some Boxing Day sales in a couple of weeks, although that's I'm already starting to see Boxing Day sales pop up. I know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember what I was. Something happened today and it was like, uh, oh, yeah, Christmas is in less than two weeks. And I'm like, holy, holy crap. <laughs> it's already. Yeah. Uh, where did December go? But yeah, uh, I am unprepared. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like I, I feel, I feel like I am prepared, but I still have that unprepared feeling. You know, like I'm something. I'm missing. So what am I missing? What am I forgetting? Uh, oh, right, I haven't finished Baldur's Gate three yet. I got to do that. Um, but <laughs> speaking of <laughs> long speaking games, speaking of really big, long, open games, yeah, yeah. So that's another one I've started, and there's no way I'm going to finish by no. you know. Game of the year chat next week. <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, I, I'm just about to finish act three or sorry, act two rather and and enter act three. I've uh, I just stopped playing shy of like what is likely to be a, a big talking uh, talking bit, which is my favorite. I've I've sort of moved the experience from uh, the PC keyboard and mouse to the PC on the TV with the key, uh, the controller. Um, and uh, it's worked quite, quite well. Um but yeah, I'm uh, I'm focused on that, uh, and I I think like Assassin's Creed Mirage is like one of those experiences where we are out of the yearly Assassin's Creed games, and I know I know Ubisoft has announced like three more Assassin's Creed games, but like they're not. I don't believe they are like 2024. We're like we're likely to have a year and change before a new one releases. Mm-hmm. Um. So and it's nice that it's nice that they're spacing them out. Yeah, it's nice to have some breathing room. Yeah, and I know it's tempting for Ubisoft to release one every year because they usually do well for the you know fiscal sheets or whatever you know money stuff and money things, <laughs> money things. You know, like yeah, I get that it it helps them in that regard, but uh, it was beginning to be like <laughs> comical of like there's there's so. There's too many of them, you know? Well, and, yeah, it's uh, like the Call of Duties. I can't even tell you what COD we're on now. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's just it's too many. It's too much like this whole annual release thing. It just more and more started to feel like a money grab. And I feel like that, you know, even with Ubisoft releasing like very good games, like Valhalla is a great game. Like you mentioned, I think Origins is probably my least favorite of those but i and i can't remember the name of the one in greece but that one was good i feel like the one in france was not as great that was yeah syndicate i think um uh, but yeah unity was in france and odyssey oh, okay. was greece yeah odyssey right 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 yeah. um but yeah like it's, it's see we can't even keep the franchise straight so i think no. that they're making a, a good <laughs> they're making a good choice kind of spacing them out a little bit and making them more digestible but uh yeah again if you if you like assassin's creed i I think this is a really really great entry and and you should go and check it out 
Um, you should also go and check out patreon.com slash the gamers in if you would like to support Ryan and I with what we're doing here. Also wanted to remind everybody there is still time to donate to Extra Life. Uh, you can go to bit.ly slash TGI Extra Life 2023 to donate to anyone on the team. I think uh, most of us still have room before we hit our final goals for the year. So any little bit helps. Also, we're going to be streaming this Friday, December 15th, starting at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, and we'll be playing Party Animals. So uh, I think we've got a bunch of people lined up to play that, and it's going to be a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun on game day. So uh, yeah, it's definite shenanigans, and I'm hoping I have a better handle on the controls this time. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm going to have to look up some sick strats. Yeah, I booted it up today just to kind of see if there was any like uh, holiday themed garb I could grab. Of course there is. <laughs> sort of the rule of like the holiday party is you got to have a Santa hat and uh, not there yet. Uh, no, not that it's going to change our plans because it's literally like in two days. But I thought like, oh, man, that's that's too bad. But there is, uh, I th- you know, I imagine. Well, they did a Halloween thing, so uh, it's got to be coming, I would think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sometimes I feel like the holiday party is maybe a week too early, but like, I really don't feel like trying to squeeze a stream in before we have our three, four day Christmas events, you know, across multiple households. So like uh, the 15th is, is calm enough, but still close enough where you can be like, yeah, it's our holiday party. It's like the, it's like the gamers in holiday party, you know, and we have a lot of fun and, and it's for a good cause. Uh, So again, Head on over to bit.ly slash TGI Extra Life 2023 if you would like to donate. Otherwise, join us over on Twitch on Friday. That brings us to the news this week. Uh, E3 is officially dead. It has been announced. Um, And yeah, I mean, I feel like this is the least surprising news we've had in a really long time. But uh, also, it's, it's kind of too bad because... You know, they were one of the only people still in the space. So, yeah, now we just have the Summer Games Fest and more of Jeff. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> yeah. I, like, it's kind of funny that when E3 was struggling, and they've been struggling for years, there were folks that were sort of celebrating the death of E3, including major publishers like Sony, not necessarily celebrating, but like actively stepping away from spending yeah millions of dollars on on a presence there well yeah nintendo kind of started that right like nintendo was like how about we just do nintendo directs and screw you guys and then everyone was like oh wow that works we don't have to go to e3 okay (laughs) i remember people made fun of them for for doing those youtube videos and people thought like why would you do that and and all of a sudden like everyone's doing now that's the industry standard yeah funny how nintendo does that eh uh <laughs> i mean like look they sometimes have some winners and they sometimes have the wii u it's fine it yeah. happens to all of us <laughs> uh we've all and had a wii hit, u they hit <laughs> they do they do sometimes it's a wii and sometimes it's a wii u so yeah <laughs> um but yeah like i think there's the other side of it too where I, and i have seen this it, and it's going to lead into a, a our conversation with the game awards is like I've, I've seen some sentiment on Twitter from developers and folks that work in the industry that, you know, E3 was a great chance to network and uh, bring your game um, to to publishers, to other developers and and sort of have that like industry uh, trade show. Right. Mm-hmm. But E3 quickly became more of like I remember when, you know, 
10, 15 years ago, I was like, man, I really want to go to E3, you know, like, but that's an yeah. industry event. I'm not in the industry. I was going to say, I feel like when we first started doing Gamers In and like the E3 coverage was like, it just, it felt like this thing that we shouldn't be involved in, you know, like it didn't really have anything to do with us and you wouldn't really get game announcements and you wouldn't really get these big, you know, it, it didn't feel like a giant advertisement. It didn't feel like it was for the general public. It was like, I feel like there was also a lot more like hardware announcements and like tech specs and, and that kind of thing. Like it really did morph into something different by the time it ended. And I think that was kind of to their detriment. Yeah. And obviously there are other industry events like GDC and uh, 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 Gamescom. And Gamescom stuff like was that. the one I was going to mention. Yeah. Yeah. At, at least they're still around, but yeah. And it'll offer those uh, opportunities. And I think that, you know, folks who are like really upset about the loss of E3, like there are, there are other events like GDC is, is, is sitting there, but like, Hey, we, we're still here. You know, <laughs> we're very industry focused. Well, and it's probably going to be their opportunity, right. For GDC to kind of make a name for themselves bigger than they already have is, you know, like they can basically take over that E3 crowd slash space. Cause I mean, Gamescom is over in the EU, right. So, or over in UK, Germany. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say, I thought it was in Europe, but then I was like, wait a minute. Why am I thinking it's in UK? <laughs> Which is no longer part of the EU. So I can't just say EU and be right. Thanks, Brexit. <laughs> <laughs> One of the worst things that happened over Brexit, right? Now you can't yeah. just say EU. <laughs> I can't right? just lump them in with the EU anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, it's it, like, I think it's something that as consumers, we're not going to feel as much because you do have summer games fest and i will admire i, I didn't see it but i will admire jeff Keeley's like, ability to uh to not do like a tweet back where he like i usually when something related to e3 gets announced like it's he'll have a tweet ready of like hey summer games fest is back live yeah. in person and i don't think he did it this time so i i will applaud his restraint there a little bit although i think he was a bit busy like handling post game award <laughs> stuff but yeah handling um, all the handling all the fallout yeah but uh it's it, like it was the writing was on the wall like it, it, you know they haven't i don't even think they've had a show since 2019 right like no they haven't yeah so and it's not necessarily something you can blame on the pandemic i think it's something that has shown its age you know for a bit there so um but yeah like now you have uh summer games fest and the game awards you have yearly events that have sort of taken that new model of like showing trailers and marketing as part of their their pitch and um it works like i think it's kind of replaced that whole like physical presence right so mm-hmm yeah, so uh, we've kind of danced around it and mentioned it a little bit, but our big story this week obviously is the Game Awards. Uh, so I watched it live. I know, Ryan, you didn't, but um, man, oh man, I, I could not believe like how long it was, but how little content I felt I walked away with, <laughs> which I think is kind of the sentiment I've seen all over the place. And you have in the notes, I didn't realize this, that they're literally was only 10 minutes out of three hours where the developers were actually given time and space to talk like that blows my freaking mind 
Like I said 10 minutes sarcastically when we were talking before the show. And I was like, you know, if you only have 10 minutes for the devs, that doesn't seem like a lot. I can't believe like that's the actual tallied runtime of dev speeches is 10 minutes out of three hours. Like I knew there were a lot of ads, but that's just bonkers. Yeah, it was a piece of feedback I had all previous years. It just felt like there wasn't enough time focused on the developers. And that was a lot of feedback people had in previous years. And it's I like I get the sense. So Jeff Keeley's really good at like spinning stuff and like he's he's all about the PR and and uh, I felt like this year was like, again, the cracks are starting to show where like folks are saying like, but no, you need to give more time to developers. Well, it's the whole reason you're supposed to be there is you're giving awards for the amazing games that came out this year. Like, mm-hmm. I get that you have to. Well, and I don't even understand that you have to pay the bills, because honestly, I think that if he pared down the ceremony a little bit and if he pared down all of his like, you know, celebrity whatevers and props and giant stage bullshit, like, you know, <laughs> it, it really and truly like it's meant you're not the Oscars. You don't have the Academy backing you like maybe. Maybe pare it down a little bit and instead of this over the top production, leave some space for your developers for the whole reason that we're supposed to be there, especially since this year. Oh, my God. This year has been so hard for game devs. There's only like 6,000 people laid off in the industry this year in spite of record profits, which, again, like is something that's not game specific like is definitely a problem across many many industries but something we've definitely seen a lot of this year is like companies saying hey you know like not only did we hit our targets but we were you know three percent higher on profits than we thought we were going to be but also we laid off 300 people like fuck you (laughs) like it must be so difficult to be a game developer right now knowing that no matter how well you do your job you still have zero job security. Like that's got to be a killer for morale. And then you go to your game awards, you put this like, you know, whatever, five, seven years of your life into something. You go up against all these other amazing experiences and you win and you're like, oh my God. And by the time that sinks in, you're being played off the stage. Like it's fucked. (laughs) Yeah, it's, um, it just feels like an over... It's not even overcorrection. It's it, well, I guess in the sense if you look at last year and you look at um, uh, the winner for God of War Ragnarok, uh, Christopher Judge for for Kratos as the best performance, the voice actor, yeah, yeah, it, it is um, like it's it's an overcorrection for one instance that that did actually cause an issue in terms of like the flow of the show and 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 staying on on time because I get it, you have to stay on time, but. I think we're at a point with 10 years of the game awards where like, sorry, sorry. I'm just going to jump in and talk about that. Just staying on time thing because you're on fucking Twitch. I'm sorry. (laughs) Like I'm, I feel really passionate about this. I'm sorry. I know I'm swearing a whole lot more than I do normally in gamers in episodes, but still like you're on Twitch. There is no other show coming up after you. There is no like, cut off time there is no specific like times where ads are going to play because you only have like 22 minutes out of your half an hour and you have to air between 7 30 and 8 p.m because you're on network television it's twitch it's meant to be flexible like yeah probably you're like 350 to 400k viewers aren't going to want to stick around for an eight hour award show fine 
you know, you want to keep it digestible, but there are no hard and fast rules. It's one of the beauties of streaming is like, it's the same with like why a lot of streaming shows on like Netflix and Amazon Prime and whatever are so good is because they can make an episode that's 23 minutes one week and then like 45 minutes the next week just to tell the story they need to tell in that episode without having to worry about network bullshit. You have no network bullshit, Jeff. Like, make it for the devs. That's the whole reason we're all here is to celebrate them and what they've done. Don't talk to me about schedules and having to make sure you stay on time. You have no set time. It's just such a stupid excuse. <laughs> yes. <Rant over. laughs> no, you're you're not wrong. However, like you do have that orchestra that you probably paid for like maybe three hours and change. It's <laughs> just sitting there waiting, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, man, eventually I am going to uh, be able to try to play. Oh no, flute guys here. Now we got to, yeah. now we have to <laughs> hit like, you know, we got to, he's got to play us up now. Oh man. Now I'm being overshadowed by flute guy. Um, <laughs> it like I, there, there needs to be a structure to a show, but I think that if, and here's an easy cut that will help both in terms of the cost and timing is um, when you have celebrity guests come out, I get that there are celebrities that are passionate about games and they may also be able to talk specifically to an announcement. Um, that's fine. I think celebrity guests is fine if if you can tie it directly to the show. But there have been in the past and at this show where you have celebrities come out and sometimes they s- stick to the script. I thought a good one was the Fallout TV series. You had, you know, the cast come out. Mm. They had some fun jokes. They had the Brotherhood of uh, Steel guy. They made a joke that Todd Howard was in the suit. I thought that was great. And it was tight and it showed the trailer. It was all that worked for me and felt felt very like in line with how the Oscars would sort of play play it. They, the Oscars don't show trailers, but like it it came yeah. very <laughs> close to like an Oscars style skit. Um but like in the Oscars, they would have presented best adaptation. Uh, they wouldn't yes, have. They yeah. wouldn't have played the trailer for Fallout, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, but I think like there's an opportunity there to be like, okay, cut back the celebrity guests because those those have got to cost money. They are paying those folks for sure. Yeah, there was Matthew McConaughey. I'm trying to remember who else was there. There was, I feel like there was two or three that I was like, oh. But also, I found it funny that Idris Elba was like, I'm not doing this shit. <laughs> you could show my photo. He sent in a JPEG. He was the, yeah. he was a JPEG. He wasn't even there. <laughs> I thought that was great. Um, but yeah, like there was a Simu Liu uh, who was speaking to. Um, right, 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 right. Stormgate. But he but he spent a good chunk of time talking about his broken his ankle, leg. Yeah, <laughs> which is fine. I thought, like, is he going to explain it? I'm glad he did. I kind of wish he hadn't. I, I thought Anthony Mackie. Okay, yeah, that was another one. Right, right, right. Right, and then he spent all his time being like, please watch my show, please watch my show, please watch my show. It's on Peacock. <laughs> well, what's a like, Peacock? What is I, don't that? Know. <laughs> I don't know. Everyone in Canada, every, yeah, everyone outside Poor of the Anthony States Mackie. is like, what are you saying? Uh, <laughs> he was struggling. I felt like he was floundering. Like maybe the teleprompter wasn't working. He kept telling people to shut up. It was a bit awkward. Yeah. But uh you know, I think there's just there's an opportunity there to bring more develop. Like there are the the on the odd time they would bring developers on. Like I feel like if you're gonna do like trailers, um, they did this with Blade. Like they brought uh, it was definitely marketing. Don't get me wrong. Yes, but it was yeah. interesting to have like the VP of Marvel Games and uh, the dude from Arcane talk about Blade 
And again, it felt very marketing, but still it was interesting to have those conversations. Yeah, you still had a developer coming out and being like, this is what we're doing. This is what we're aiming for. Here's the cool thing that we're working on. Like that, I feel like is more in line. Like you say, it obviously it is marketing and, you know, like they they paid to have that time, paid to have that trailer. I get it. But at least you're talking to developers about the next cool thing that they're working on as opposed to just like, I mean, the number of games that splashed up on the screen that I was just like, who plays this? What is this even for? Like, you know, you don't, don't recognize any characters, don't recognize a franchise. At the end, you realize, oh, it's some gotcha mobile game. Like, I don't want all of these commercials. Like, there were so, so many that I was just like, man, this just feels like so much filler versus like if they had said like, here's a... a snapshot or the sneak peek into Elder Scrolls 6 or you know like the new Spider-Man that's coming in three years or whatever like you know like the sneak peeky stuff world premiere like world premiere used to I feel like anyways used to mean something it's like when you would see world premiere it was like a big deal and now it's just like man they're using it for everything that nobody cares about and nobody's seen and nobody's gonna remember tomorrow like there's just so much garbage thrown in there now that all of the trailers even like I don't know how game companies think that they're actually getting any money. I can't even tell you most of the trailers we ended up watching because it was just like they all blur together into, you know, worse than commercials because at least commercials, you still get 10 to 15 minutes of show in between. We didn't get 10 to 15 minutes of show in between all of these trailers, right? So... Oh, man. Yeah, I was really not impressed. And this is also one of the first years where I've actually watched it like start to finish. Like I'm sitting there trying to entertain my daughter. So I had nothing better to do than throw the TV on in the background. So it's the first time in probably four or five years where I actually watched the Game Awards start to finish. And I was like, holy crap, this is bad. (laughs) Yeah, I... um, So I had a... I was recording another podcast at the time when it was on, but... um, and there was a part of my brain like, do I reschedule the recording so I can watch live? And I, I thought, no, you know what? Every time I watch it live, it just frustrates me so much that they spend <laughs> next to no time. Again, not to harp on, on it, but the, allowing yeah, the developers yeah. to speak. Like I just like it just, a, a, you know, a feed popped up on on Twitter where you have uh, I think he's the uh, he's the head of Larian. He's the guy who went up in the armor to accept the award for game of the year. I love that he was wearing that through the whole entire yeah. show. Like that is commitment. <laughs> yeah, I think he um, he would often wear it during uh, sort of their videos to to, you know, leading up to the Baldur's Gate three release. But he he tweeted his entire he said here the thread what I wanted to say at the Game Awards. And it was mm. basically his thank you speech. Um, and yeah, like there was no way it was going to fit in fit into 30 seconds. And there was probably no way it was going to fit into five minutes. It was probably, you know, going to take time to to get through that. But if you just won game of the year, you should have more than 30 seconds. You should be able to stand up there and talk for five minutes. If that's what you wanted to do you out of every single game that came out. And there are so, so many every single year now between all the indie stuff, all the AAA stuff. Like there are so many great games every year. Like I looked at the game of the year category this year and I was like, there's probably like four of them that I would be totally fine with them. Like winning. Like they were, it was great competition this year. So like if you manage to be the game of the year, you should get to talk about that for five minutes. <laughs> yeah, I, I, in my I agree opinion. with you. 
Like, I wanted to hear every word he had to say. <laughs> yeah, it felt, it just, it feels like you've got, you've got this, like, process where you sit here. It's like, okay, how do we make sure, like, no one goes over time? And I think whoever suggested 30 seconds is, like, the base. Because it was literally, like, a countdown. Like, you saw that first, uh, yeah. it, it was it was Baldur, Baldur's Gate 3, the actor who played Asterion. And he he gets up and immediately he is shocked to see this countdown. We don't see it as as the viewers, but you can. There was some footage posted later on that showed the thirty second countdown that starts the second you get up there and you're handed the award and you're just you suddenly see tens of thousands. Uh, how many people they fit in that theater? And now you're looking out at them, and your first instinct is to stop talking and like shy away <laughs> if you're not used <laughs> to that kind of audience. Um, and it, it's counting down. And then once it gets to 30 seconds, the music starts and it says, please wrap it up. And it's like 30 seconds is nothing. I think yeah. you need to, you need to up it to, to give, give each winner two minutes. Like we haven't even talked about the fact that they do that awkward, like rapid fire for awards, which mm. just is, feels like, and he's like, and Jeff Keeley's like going fast with it. He's like, yeah. And best family, blah, blah, blah. And the winner is this. Okay. Let's do one more. You know, let's rip the Band-Aid. Like, <laughs> best mobile. Yeah. What's the point? You know, like you're an award exactly. show and you're rapid firing these. Well, yeah. So that's the thing is it feels like they have kind of pared down their in-person big stage presentations to like the big ones, right? Best narrative, best song, best uh, performance. Uh, and then you've got like the best in your categories, but even then they don't do every category. They just do the big ones. So like best RPG, you know, whatever. And the best, best action adventure, I think is another one that they do on stage. And then they do game of the year. So like, I mean, I've counted on two hands how many in-person on stage things they actually do. And it just seems crazy that they don't like, um, I guess, focus on them a little bit more considering, like you say, they do have so so many more awards that they just rapid fire off you know three and four at a time with jeff Keeley just kind of standing off to the side and and just saying it this and you know i can't even remember if he goes down he does go down the nominees he says this is the award these are the nominees and this is who won this is the award yeah. these are the nominees this is who won like he's he's super super fast doesn't talk about anything to do with anything of those games so you know it's already from an awards perspective as pared down as possible. And, you know, every single award show does have awards that they, you know, give out in an earlier ceremony or, you know, whatever, but they still have a ceremony, which game awards I don't think does. Um, but yeah, so like they, they just give out the big ones. So you've already pared it down to just the big ones. So I think give those big awards some space to breathe and, you know, maybe sell fewer ad spots at a higher cost. And, you know, that'll eliminate some of these, you know, smaller companies. Sure. But I, I think maybe that would be a good thing. Because like I say, I don't even know how companies think they're getting their money's worth because, yeah, they just run one into the other. And they're yeah. really not memorable at all because there's just so many of them. Again, like to say <laughs> 10 minutes of dev speeches out of three hours as way, way, way too many ads. And I know not all of that, you know, two hours and 50 minutes runtime is advertisements. Like you said, there's lots of other stuff going on, but 
Yeah, it feels like even the stuff that isn't technically an advertisement feels like an advertisement. So yeah, I think they just need to make some adjustments there. But let's let's talk a little bit about Game of the Year. Uh, obviously, Baldur's Gate 3 did win. Uh, but I was really surprised in this. Like, I was already super excited for this game and was going to give it a try before we do our Game of the Year next week. Um, but Alan Wake 2 took a lot of awards that I was not expecting them to. Like they, the best narrative went to Alan Wake 2. That's crazy. I love that. I was so expecting like Baldur's Gate 3 to just walk away with absolutely everything. Although I was also surprised that Final Fantasy didn't seem to, to get a lot of love. Like I don't think Final Fantasy won anything that they were nominated um, for that we saw presented on stage anyways. Yeah, I think they got best soundtrack, but it might have been in the rapid Possibly. fire. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, Alan Wake 2, uh, I think coming off of Control, uh, Remedies Game before Alan Wake 2, it, it, like, they know how to tell a story, and they know how to tell a beginning, middle, end story uh, with some twists and turns thrown in. Their stories are wild, like, because they're dealing with, like, dimensional crazy stuff, right? So, yeah they're dealing with really out there things and they manage to explain it to people like me who kind of go, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. I mean, the issue with Baldur's Gate three and like this might upset some folks, but it is a big game and the narrative mm -hmm. has a lot of branching paths. It's not an experience for everyone. Which almost goes back to the Assassin's Creed conversation, right? It's like sure. if you pull away from your main quest line too much, then, you know, like it's going to potentially hurt the cohesiveness of your narrative. So when you're playing through a game like Alan Wake 2, that's like, here's your path, go, then, you know, it's hard to compete with that narrative when you're crafting an open world experience. 100%. Like, I think it's it's almost like Alan Wake 2 being a more crafted sort of focused experience. Like it, it allows it to perform better in a category that is just about the narrative. We're not talking yeah. about the game the whole thing um and even though alan wake 2 is a great game and and in a year where Baldur's gate 3 maybe came out the previous year or the year after there's a lot of titles in that game of the year category that could have uh taken like i mean again at the start of the year it was like well tears of the kingdom right like that's got to be the winner and and then it's like well wait Baldur's gate 3 and then alan wake 2 comes out like two days before the nominations close and it's like well this one might be a contender as well like there's there's a lot of games that sort of are hanging out in that top six sort of uh, time frame and not all games we played. Yeah. So just just for the record, uh, Alan Wake 2, uh, Spider-Man 2, which I think a lot of people were a little bit upset that Spider-Man 2 didn't get more love. It got a lot of nominations, but not a lot of awards. Uh, Resident Evil 4, uh, Zelda Tears of the Kingdom, Baldur's Gate 3, and Super Mario Brothers Wonder, which I was kind of surprised. It felt like, and I know obviously Tears of the Kingdom is, is a Nintendo title, but I was kind of like, why do we have Super Mario in here? I feel like Final Fantasy would have been better in this uh, Game of the Year category. Like Super Mario, especially after like playing it through, I'm kind of like, it was good for like a Mario platformer, but I wouldn't put it in this category at all. Like I, that was the only nomination that kind of felt off to me. <laughs> but yeah. like, yeah, Alan Wake 2, uh, Spider-Man 2, Baldur's Gate 3, even though I didn't play Spider-Man 2, I know you loved it and I've seen a lot of love for it online. So and obviously Tears of the Kingdom, like just because I don't love it doesn't mean that, you know, it's not worth 
uh, consideration for this category for sure. So, I mean, like I say, I feel like there's, you know, four titles there that I would have been totally fine with and and kind of could see winning. Um, I think everybody kind of knew Baldur's Gate 3 was going to win, but yeah, like there were there were still four four titles there that I was totally fine with. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and uh I think because you have to pick six games, you you do see like some kind of creep in there. I think Wonder was one of those, as you said, like sort of like, oh yeah, that's um there's probably a lot of fighting over the sixth place. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> what, what do we get in here? I think Wonder is an interesting sort of evolution of the 2D Mario formula. But if it was like a traditional, like another new Super Mario Brothers, it wouldn't have even, you know, best family game. You know, Nintendo has that category yeah. unlock. Yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I thought the um, a lot of the like a lot of the winners, a lot of the again, like for me, I just want to I want to hear from the devs. I want to hear from the folks. I think it's really cool that the winners sort of don't just focus on uh the games themselves but but lead into like best performance and um you get to see more from the music side of things or you could see more from the music side of things they had the the orchestra play sort of the the medley of the six sort of uh game of the year or game of the year uh contenders and i'd i'd love to see more of like the uh, like the categories, you know, focus in on like um, the, you know, you have best direction and you have the director come on. I thought that was really cool. And, you know, uh, best narrative and have the writers come up. Like I, I really enjoyed that part of it. Even best adaptation, like had uh, Neil Druckmann come up, who is, who is the the guy behind the last of us. So mm-hmm. like, it's really interesting to see those I was so parts. glad Last of Us won, by the way. I thought that they did, again, as someone who, you know, had not too much to do with the game. Like, I really, really, really enjoyed that show. <laughs> yeah, it's a great, it's a great show. And honestly, a, a really solid adaptation. Uh, and, uh, but yeah, like, I thought that, um, I thought like the winners were, there was no upsets. Like, really, I think kind of everything kind of went uh as expected if anything i was gonna say the the upsets that i think i i would point to would be alan wake over Baldur's gate pretty much everywhere <laughs> sure and you know i'm not necessarily on the same train as some folks who think like because Baldur's gate was nominated it should win because it is like this massive game i think they got they got the they got the awards that made that made the most sense and then yeah, and i'm not saying like you know, some of those categories like where Alan Wake one was like, well, you know, Baldur's Gate's going to win the big one. So let's give a, a few. I don't believe that's how it kind of works in terms of like the judges sort of giving these awards out. I, I like to think that they probably look at this objectively and not try to like make sure everybody gets a trophy. Oh, yeah. Um, no, they definitely don't do that. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it was it, it was nice to see that Alan Wake two won some because I really love uh, what Remedy has been doing and, and the universe they're setting up with this completely connected sort of thing and um yeah i think i think what what i'm saying here is i'm gonna be playing alan wake 2 very soon so i look forward to that but uh but yeah it's um it's a really neat it's really neat to see these games win and and uh it's it's always odd to me like when these games win like okay like i think alan wake 2 has kind of shot up the list in terms of what i want to what i want to get around to not necessarily for next week i don't think i'll be able to to promise that but um it's definitely one of those like 2023 games I, I need to pop to the top of the list for 2024. 
Yeah, that's fair. I'm definitely going to try it before next week because, I mean, I have so few in my, uh, in my, well, just repertoire from this year. <laughs> so I need to make sure, I think, personally, that I at least one of us plays Alan Wake too, so it can get a mention next week because next week's spoiler alert is our Game of the Year episode. So uh, stay tuned for that. But I think that is going to do it for us tonight. You can head on over to bit.ly slash TGI Discord if you want to talk all about what your games of the year are. We would love to hear it. Otherwise, you can visit us on the web at gamersinpodcast.com. You can follow us over on Twitter. You can find me, Jocelyn Joss Plays. Ryan is Dar Murphy. And don't forget to follow the show at The Gamers In. Also, don't forget that this coming Friday, that is December 15th, starting at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, we're going to have our holiday party where we're going to be playing party animals for Extra Life. So again, if you would want to donate to us or anyone else on the team, head on over to bit.ly slash TGI Extra Life 2023. Thanks for staying at the Gamers Inn. And remember, tune in next week. Bye, everybody. Bye, everyone. All right, we ran long, so we got to be quick. Best announcements at the Game Awards 2023. The nominations are Pony Island 2, Usual June, Windblown, Thrasher, Dave the Diver Cross Dredge, World of Goo 2, God of War Ragnarok Valhalla, No Rest for the Wicked, Sega Announces All the Things, Casting of Frank Stone, Jurassic Park Survival, Suicide Squad, Lost Records, Blade, Light, No Fire. And the Game Award goes to Pony Island 2. Pony Island 2.